Is there evidence that verifies the empty tomb of Jesus? There actually is a very intriguing marble tablet that some believe confirms the empty tomb. That's what we'll be discussing today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, an apologetics podcast to help equip Christians to engage the culture through biblical, critical thinking. Your hosts for this podcast are Robbie Lashua and Tyler Hurley. Robbie is pastor of apologetics at Desert Springs Community Church, as well as professor of apologetics, worldview, and ethics at Mission Bible Institute. He is a graduate of Phoenix Seminary, as well as a graduate of the Master's in Christian Apologetics program at Biola University. Tyler is currently earning his undergraduate degree in theology at Grand Canyon University, and currently serves as an apologetics intern at Desert Springs Community Church. Hello, you are listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee once again with Robbie and Tyler. Hi, we're back for this edition of Christ, Culture, and Coffee, second episode of 2019. Yes, super exciting. Um, We're really looking forward to getting into today's topic again. We're continuing our series on biblical archaeology, Mm -hmm. and today we will be discussing, as you may have heard already in the pre-intro, we will be talking about uh, evidence that verifies the empty tomb of Jesus. Yeah, and archaeology, like we talked about last week, is a really cool tool that we have. Um, it, it, it lends itself to confirm things in the Bible, right? Yeah, it doesn't right. prove necessarily everything that the Bible says is true, but when you when you look at all this stuff and you dig up all these relics and, and artifacts from history and it actually um, corroborates with what Scripture says, yeah. it seems like the Bible's telling the truth. Well, yeah, about it, things. Yeah. And if it is telling the truth about these historical uh, items and, and events and people, then maybe it's also telling the truth about the miracles that happen, right? So it's just yeah. kind of like another, uh, it's it's one of the many, many arguments we can make to the validity of, of Scripture and the God of Scripture. Yes, it's super cool that we have these things. And I'm excited personally to get into the subject that we're yeah, this on is today. a fun one today. This one is just kind of mind blowing. Yeah, but, it's yeah. nuts. It's pretty wild. And so, uh, but before we get into that, uh, we always start off with a coffee tip. Yep, we always start off with a coffee tip, and we get our coffee tips from our listeners who email us good ideas. And if we use it on the air, we send you a coffee mug. And like we've been saying for the last few weeks, we're running out. I was actually looking yeah. at them a couple nights ago. We are getting down to about seven of them now. I think so, seven or six left. So if you have a coffee tip and you want one of these limited edition mugs, right? You need to (laughs) email us and uh, we will get that mug out to you if we use your tip on the air. So today's tip comes from Sue. So Sue, if you emailed us a tip, you are the winner today. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. And Sue's tip is really helpful because this is a safety tip. Yes. Yes, this will help you not to harm your body while you're making coffee, which nobody wants to do that. Yeah. I'm about to drink and and, and engage in a delicious beverage, right? (laughs) Why do I want to hurt myself prior to doing that? You don't. It's supposed to be enjoying. Exactly, yeah. Coffee is supposed to be enjoyable. So this is what Sue said. Um, She said she learned this lesson the hard way. (laughs) That's always difficult. Um, But she said uh, in her email, I want to help your listeners understand how to not burn themselves 
when when making French press coffee. So uh, uh, many, many episodes ago, probably in one of the earliest ones, we talked about a French press. Uh, it's, it's a device you use to make coffee instead of like a traditional coffee maker. And mm-hmm. how you do it is you grind up some coffee, you put it inside the pitcher of the French press, you pour hot water into it, boiling water into it, with a little bit of salt actually makes it taste better. Yeah. You stir it up, you let it sit for five minutes, and then there's this really neat lid that goes on this this canister of the French press that your coffee's in, and it has a, uh, a screen on the bottom of it. And a, 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 a stick, a stem coming up through the top. And once you put the lid on, you push the stem down, and it pushes the screen down through the entire canister of, of the coffee, pushing all the grounds to the bottom. There, Then you can pour the coffee in your cup. You don't have grounds in it. But you also keep all the oils in it instead of uh, putting the oils through a paper filter and having them extracted because oil is where the flavor is. Right. So you want to do it. so French press is amazing. So we, we talked about that before, but what she said is really important for your safety. So Sue said that one time she was making a French press and she ground the beans really, really fine, right? And everyone, you, you've, if you have a, a bean grinder at your house, you know, the longer you grind it, the, the finer it gets, the, the mm. smaller the particles become. And she ground it really fine, and she put it in there making a French press. And then when she was pressing the stem to, to push the screen down to take all the grounds to the bottom, it was clogging the screen so that water wasn't seeping through, but it kind of created like a paste on the screen. And so as she pushed harder, you know, to force it down, what happened was she pushed so hard that it actually um, pushed the water up through the pouring spout and it burnt her. She got it on her on her arm and hand, and it burnt her. Um, and so she said, man, this is horrible. She said she threw out the French press because she thought it was defective. She got yeah, another right. one. But what, what happened was this. When you're making a French press, you don't want to grind the beans so fine because that's what will happen. So you're supposed to um, grind them really coarsely, a kind of a thicker grind. And if you go to your uh, local grocery store or a uh, local coffee shop and have them grind your beans for you, they'll ask you what kind of a grind you want on it. And if you're making a French press with it, you want a coarse grind. You don't want it super fine because when it's coarse, it allows the water to seep through the screen and it's easier to press down, and you mm. won't risk burning yourself by, you know, yeah. doing hot molten lava boiling water. I mean, on your arm. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, we were talking about it earlier. Like that—that—that's what you would call a Christ culture catastrophe. Catastrophe, not, yeah. Not Christ not culture right. catastrophe. It's bad. It's yeah. <laughs> not good. So, Sue, I'm really mm. sorry that that happened to you, but. You're getting a Christ culture and coffee, coffee mug. So congratulations yes. on that. Thank you so much for sending that, that tip. And we do hope that the rest of you use a little Christ culture caution when, <laughs> <laughs> when you are uh, attempting to make your next French press cup of coffee. Yeah, that sounds sounds like a good tip because I, I just use French press for the first time. I never actually used a filter before until mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. So uh, it's important for people to be aware of. It is. You don't want to hurt yourself don't before get hurt, a good so. cup of coffee. Yep. Well, today's show, man, here we go. This is going to be awesome. We are doing a series on archaeology and and, uh, what archaeology can help us uh, confirm from Scripture. And today we are talking about a piece of archaeology that is named the Nazareth Inscription. 
Yeah. The Nazareth inscription. Cool. If you uh, have access to a computer or a smartphone right now and you're not driving, uh, I would encourage you to pull up a picture of this because it's it's a really cool piece of archaeology. It's a it's a 24 inch by 15 inch marble tablet. It's about two inches thick. And this uh, this this piece of archaeology came to light in 1925. So almost 100 years ago is when this discovery of what it was was made. Now there was a man by the name of Wilhelm Froner, and uh, he died in 1925. And in his possession, he had about. 3,400 items, archaeological mm, items, yeah. that were left behind. Um, and he even, when he was alive, would boast about how he had stuff that was virgin, that was um, unknown to, to the rest of the world. And uh, when he died and people were going through all of these archaeology uh, items that he had, um, this this Nazareth inscription really... Uh, caught the attention of the of the world. Yeah, right. And it is a significant, significant find. So, so what is it? Again, like I said, it's it's two feet by by fifteen inches, uh, and it's it's a tablet that that is of marble, made of marble. In it are carved out Greek words. It's it's a, a Greek edict that we know. It's from uh, Caesar, one of the Caesars. It's 22 lines of text, and uh, later on in the show, we're going to read to you a translation of what it says. Yeah. But it's it's really kind of a pretty piece of archaeology. If you look at a picture of it, you go, "Wow, that's that's kind of a yeah, neat, we'll, you know, marble we'll, tablet type thing." Yeah. Well, even we're, we were even talking. We're we're going to have a picture of this tablet also shared on our Instagram page. Yeah. So uh, by the time this episode releases, it should already be up, so you could go ahead and uh, research it there. And then we'll also have, like Robbie mentioned, we'll also send you guys the link, so that way you can take a look at the article for yourselves. But yep. it's super cool, like, it is. seeing and, something and, like this. And the story of it's kind of interesting. So so this guy, Wilhelm Fronier, dies. People discover it in his private collection. Nobody's mm. ever seen this thing before. Nobody knows where it comes from, right? They read the inscription, which we'll get to, uh, and, and then... They actually found in Wilhelm Froner's private inventory uh, a note that he recorded, and he said that this tablet was sent from Nazareth in 1878. Mm. So in 1925, they discover this private collection because Wilhelm had died, and then they find that he, in right. his inventory he said that this was sent from Nazareth. So this tablet has become known as the Nazareth inscription because it's from Nazareth, Israel. And um, this is just super intriguing. So as for the dating on this, that's what we want to yeah. be able to discuss is well, what time period is this from, right? Basically, through a lot of study, through looking at the Greek characteristics on the, the inscription, they've come to realize that um, you can tell this was originally written in Latin and then translated into Greek. Right, so uh, it had to have come from uh, the time in Rome where they were speaking Latin, mm -hmm. be translated into Greek. Even looking at the Greek characteristics, they can tell what time period it came from because of the shape of certain letters, um, where different dots are, slashes are, things like that. They can they can pinpoint it to a certain era of time. Yeah. <clears throat> All that nerdy stuff aside, basically scholars agree that this inscription came from the first half of the first century A.D. And, and the other thing with that, too, is uh, thinking not not only is that like pretty early on is like it had to be significant. Right. Because one one other thing that's crazy is uh, 
it appears as though Wilhelm was aware of the significance yeah. of this piece because he brags about having it in his collection. Uh, not only this piece, but he he could have been only referring to this piece, but he does brag in saying that he has some pieces out of his 3,400 archaeological findings that he kept for himself yep. that he is the only one who had seen them. That were special to them. And with his yeah. training and, and reading up on him, um, it wasn't like... Most people agree it wasn't like he didn't know what this was. Oh, he had to have known. They, they, they yeah. agreed. Because he no, bragged he, about he knew what it, was. it being something that only he had possession of yep, and no one knew about it. Yep. Yeah. And and it is very significant. So let's let's just kind of take inventory of what we know. Yes. This inscription is in Greek. It's translated from Latin. It starts off by saying an edict of Caesar. It was found in Nazareth. And it's dated to the first half of the first century A.D. All right? The first so half. First half of the first century. And um, I read up from, from a few scholars, and they said, listen, even if that dating's off by a couple of decades, because of what it says, because it's from um, the, the Caesar of the Roman Empire, it cannot be later than 70 AD because if you know your history in 70 AD the Roman Empire went in and they ransacked Jerusalem they tore down the temple uh, everything was destroyed in 70 AD yeah so it had to be then so if they were ruling and sending edicts it had to be prior to that yeah does that make sense and since we found this in Nazareth and since it's an edict of Caesar it, it had to be prior to 70 AD although many people believe it's the first half of the first century so even earlier than 70 AD. Now, what this inscription says is fascinating. And after we go through the inscription, we want to share with you uh, who most probably this was from, which Caesar this most probably came from. So, <laughs> Tyler, you've got the English translation of the inscription, right? Yes. Uh, which is good because I think most of our listeners speak English. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> the other languages that were right? a little yeah. dead. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to go ahead and read the translation of what's on this first century marble tablet that we found in Nazareth, Israel? Yes. So again, like we said, this was um, recorded, uh, or sorry, it was tra- scri- scribed down from Latin into Greek. Yep. And then, so this is the translation into English. Of the Greek. Of the Greek. Yep. So here's what it says. It says, Ordinance of Caesar, it is my pleasure that graves and tombs remain undisturbed in perpetuity if any man lay information that another has either demolished them or has in any other way extracted the buried or has maliciously transferred them to other places in order to wrong them or has displaced the sealing or other stones against such a one, I order that a trial be instituted. Let it be absolutely forbidden for anyone to disturb them. In case of contravention, I desire that the offender be sentenced to capital punishment on the charge of violation of sepulture. Okay, so that is the quote from this statement. Wait a second. What is this saying? Edict of Caesar... Basically, he's saying stop robbing graves, stop moving bodies of people in graves, right? Don't extract a body of a buried person. Don't maliciously transfer them. I like where he says um, um, if anyone has has, uh, displaced a body to wrong them or they displaced the ceiling or the stones, right, that were rolled in front of the tomb. Yeah. What's the punishment if you do this? 
Well, it says capital punishment. Capital punishment, which yeah. would mean if you were a non-Roman citizen, crucifixion. Yeah. And if you were a Roman citizen, you couldn't be crucified, but you could have your head chopped off. Yeah. Capital punishment. Or at, at the very least, you would be stripped of your citizenship and exiled, right? Yeah. So this right. is a big deal. So you, you're either dead or a life of exile. Yeah. So yeah. The, the, the question that we ask is why did whatever Caesar wrote this— think it was important to say stop robbing graves stop it stop it don't yeah. don't move bodies don't move the seal don't move the rock it's a yeah. really interesting uh piece of of uh, of archaeology and and the interesting yeah. part is we don't really f- we don't find this exact edict well, sent to other cities it's only mm-hmm. found in nazareth yeah well what's crazy is he doesn't even really mention too much about robbing it he just says don't touch them don't yeah, don't move, move the body. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, don't, that is true. He says don't even move them. So like, even if you wanted to just like sw- move maybe the burial site of that mm-hmm. person, he's saying that's forbidden. Do not touch yeah. bodies once they're in their grave. So the question we want to ask is, what is prompting the Caesar, who's in Rome, yeah. to write an edict to Nazareth, Israel, to, Nazareth. to say yeah. stop moving bodies out of graves. Like we, were ta- we were discussing this earlier. We don't see, we, d- we didn't have any other copies of this anywhere in, else. In any it other only cities. came yeah. out of Nazareth. Yeah, Nazareth. And that's what's interesting is if you were sending an edict for a region, wouldn't you yeah. send it like to the capital? Yeah. But, but, wouldn't you no, send it to Jerusalem? They sent it to Nazareth. Nazareth. And, and think about it. Okay, Nazareth is a podunk nothing town. Yeah. Right. You even remember in scripture where they talk about can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's like this hillbilly backwater northern Galilee. It's 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 backwoods country, right? Right. That's where Jesus is from. The, he's not from an auspicious place. He's from he's from nowhere. So why would the Caesar of the world send an edict to nowhere Israel instead of sending it to the capital? Yeah. And and we're going to talk about that in a little while. But what's interesting is it seems that this Caesar, most most people believe that this was actually sent from Claudius Caesar, mm-hmm. and he reigned from forty one to fifty four A.D. forty one to fifty four. Right. Fits the timeline of what the tablet looks like, right? Yeah. Um, some people say maybe it was Tiberius who reigned just before him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Could have been, uh, but uh, most people believe it was from Claudius's reign. So. Uh, what is this idea about grave robbery, and why would the uh, well, not not grave robbery, but moving a body from a grave, right? Robbing yeah, a body, just even from disturbing grave. it at all. Yeah, and so it's interesting because if you if you remember in Matthew chapter twenty eight, we see uh, this rumor about uh, Jesus' body being robbed out of his grave, right? I want to re- I want to read this Matthew twenty eight eleven through fifteen. It says, now while they were on their way. Some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And what that's referring to is the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. Verse 12. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And then listen to what Matthew says here at the end of verse 15. Mm. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Yeah, wow. Okay, so <laughs> Matthew is recording something that happened 
right after Jesus' death, right? So somewhere between 30 and 33 AD, depending on your dating of the crucifixion and resurrection, right? But then Matthew's not writing this until, you know, maybe the, the 50s or 60s AD. Um, and so he's saying, listen, back then, this is what they did. They said, hey, tell the governor, tell anybody who opposes that his disciples stole the body. And if you get in trouble for that, we'll, we'll, we'll cover you for you, right? We've got your back on this. We'll talk to Pilate. You won't get busted <laughs> for this. And they paid him off with this rumor to spread. And then Matthew says that, you know, that happened in 30 AD. And now here I am in the 50s or 60s. And people are still saying that. People are still spreading that rumor that Jesus' disciples, which would be Matthew, uh, stole the body. Right? Yeah, right. An interesting uh, other, other uh, piece of evidence that we find about this rumor being spread comes actually from uh, Justin Martyr. Uh, I love Justin Martyr because he was like the first apologist, uh, Christian apologist in history. He lived between 100 and 165. And in his uh, dialogue with Trifo in chapter 108, uh, and you can go online and find this. This is all public domain because – I mean, the guy's been dead for about 2,000 years. (laughs) There's no copyright law. Um, uh, In in his dialogue with Trifo, which was written during his life, you know, between 100 and 165 AD, Justin says this. As he's arguing with Trifo, Trifo is a, a Jew, and he's making an argument against him. Justin says, Yet you not only have not repented after you learned that Jesus rose from the dead, but as I said before, you have sent chosen and ordained men throughout all the world to proclaim that a godless and lawless heresy had sprung from one Jesus, a Galilean deceiver, whom we crucified, but his disciples stole him by night from the tomb where he was laid, when unfastened from the cross, and now they deceive men by asserting that he has risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. So Justin Martyr, in the second century, records that the the Jews were still spreading this rumor that his disciples stole the body and then told everyone that he rose from the dead. Mm. So we know from a couple of different um, historical accounts that this was a... uh, common theme, a a common rumor that was being spread about what happened to Jesus' body. Now, a couple interesting things about this, Tyler. That is an admission that the tomb's empty, (laughs) right? If you have to come up with a rumor, it's an admission that, hey, guess what? His body's gone, and we have to account for that. Yeah, right. Isn't that interesting? That makes sense. I mean, uh, that's clearly what they're talking about, too. And they they did clearly make up the story because they talk about it at like we just said in Matthew 28, uh, uh-huh. this is what was widely spread among the Jews and is to the day that they wrote. And now let me, let me, let's, let's pull back a little bit and think about this. Yeah. So Matthew is a disciple of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Matthew wrote the gospel of Matthew. If, let's just pretend. Okay. If you were a disciple of Jesus and you did steal his body. Mm-hmm. Okay, as as unplausible as that is, with fighting off the guards, right? You're you got some fishermen and tax collectors going up against mercenaries, and, and winning, or or sneaking up on them while they're asleep, which they couldn't do anyway. Um, but let's just say it happened. Let's say you stole the body of Jesus, then you start telling everybody he rose from the dead, yeah. and people start believing you. And you don't get money, sex, or power out of it. Actually, you get killed for it, and all your buddies get killed for it. And not yeah. one of you recants. 
means you really believe this thing you know to be a lie, a which lot is really bizarre. Too. Yeah. Not just killed. Well, thrown in yeah. jail, beaten. I mean, they had a lot of problems that came about because they were preaching this. Yeah. But they didn't ever waver. Not one of them squealed, right? It's it's not like a mob movie where they got somebody to talk, right? None of them <laughs> did. They all unanimously died for this belief. Even if even if you could have all lied about that, which I think is highly unlikely, and all died for that, which is highly unlikely, and not gotten anything really profitable for yourself out of it, highly unlikely. Why would you write in your book this rumor that was being spread? Think about it. Like if you did steal his body, why would you, Matthew, write down that people were saying you stole the body? Wouldn't you try to stay as far away from that as possible? Does that make sense, Tyler? Yeah. I mean, like, that's why the, would he record that? Yeah, because if you're, I don't know. Yeah, just you saying that alone, it it would create a lot of like suspicion. You would think too. If you did it, you wouldn't. You wouldn't even. You wouldn't even come around. Yeah, you getting know close saying? to saying it. Yeah, yeah. Like, like even just bringing it up would like if you were really lying about it. Yeah. It would, Why it, would you write that in your gospel? I mean, Unless you're some really malicious genius that knows it'll throw people off. But, but the then track. the thing is too, they had to just know ahead of time that it would be a major issue. What I'm saying is here is the only plausible way they could have done this yeah. is if they, yes, let's say they stole the body, mm-hmm. but they would have also had to have known that it would have been that big of a deal that everyone was claiming it. And so they're like, look, you know what? This will throw everyone off the scent. Let's make up a story that they lied. Yeah. But that's just like... And it's also the, it's also difficult because yeah. at the time he wrote this, those Jews were around. Like people knew what was being said. He's yeah. admitting to like this, yeah. And everyone, it's even everyone hears this rumor to, today. Of course, but he's yeah. almost he's almost. I mean, when he's writing it, he's almost writing like how absurd that is. Yeah, like it's it's just a dumb idea it's, because Roman guards well, don't let prisoners. And the other go. thing is too, we have other instances of like people seeing them. It's not like like the disciples oh, yeah. just 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 claim that. He rose from the dead and no, no one saw him. Well, and we're going to get it. You know, when Easter comes around, we'll, we're going to dive yes. into the resurrection. Yes, and talk we'll about get that into a that a lot. But yeah, you, you, you've got real problems with it because it's not like just his friends admitted he rose from yeah. the dead and appeared to them. You've got his enemies like Paul, who was killing Christians, totally change sides and dedicate his life and get killed for what? Well, Jesus showed up to me. Because he's like, so I saw him. How do you yeah. account for that? And not only that, but I mean, I think the more difficult one is you've got his brothers yeah. who, who hated him before his resurrection, and then they're worshiping him the week after he rose from the dead. Yeah. What changed their mind? How could you convince your brother that you're God? Like that is, <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a tough, that's a tough task. So, and we're going to get into all of that, but he, he yeah. Matthew says, listen, the Jews are saying, and they paid off the guards to say, we stole the body. And then we see in another historical document from the second century that Justin Martyr says, the Jews are still saying that, and they're sending people out all around the world to say that. Because why? Well, the Christian message was being spread all around the world. The Apostle Paul had gone out and established churches throughout yeah. the Roman Empire. And it's almost like they were doing damage control, saying, no, 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 no the disciples stole the body. Which yeah, makes no sense, they, because why would they all die for it? Yeah, because that was a big problem. They were starting to see this uh, whole revolution yeah. occurring through this, and it's so, crazy. So now let's loop back around to the Nazareth inscription, right? Yes. What does this have to do with the Nazareth inscription? Well, is the Nazareth inscription mm-hmm. a response to the claim that Jesus of Nazareth rose from yeah. the dead? Because here's the deal. The Roman Empire, right, I mean, the book of Romans is written to the church at Rome. Yeah. 
there's a church there, right? When Paul's alive, mm-hmm. uh, so so this this message has been getting out to the world, and the Jews paid off the guards to tell their superiors that the guy's disciples stole the body. Yeah, the this this squabble, this this uh, dissension in Israel, in the province of Israel, and what happened, and the weirdness about it would get back to the emperor of Rome. Yeah, and I mean think about it. If he if they knew and they were advertising that it that Jesus of Nazareth was the body that was stolen, mm-hmm. they would think, okay, well then that means that people in Nazareth probably know about this yep. and that they did something about it. Let's send it to Nazareth. Let's send a message and say if any of you do anything like this again, you'll face capital punishment. Even yep. if I think it's interesting, Robbie, because I was look, reading through the um, the inscription again, and something that I noticed is really crazy, like a couple lines in it says, um, not only does it talk about like demolishing the graves or extracting the buried, but it also says if you maliciously transfer them to other places in order to wrong them or has d- even displaced the ceiling yeah, or other stones. stones. He's saying here that even if a stone is moved or if like the seal on a tomb is kind yeah. of defaced. Don't mess with it. He yeah. says, e- even if you didn't touch the body, if you defaced the seal to mm-hmm. the tomb, you will face capital punishment, yep. which, which that's uh, that alone you got to think about. So he's he's thinking like, this is a big deal. We don't want this happening again. So like, think yeah. about that. Why would they even, like, it'd be one thing if graves were being robbed. Yeah. Well, and this but is, then it's th- like, th- that's the point we get to. So yeah. there's, there's really two options going on here. Right. Either this is a response to this rumor about a guy rising from the dead, mm-hmm. and then he hears the other side, and they say, "No, his disciples just stole the body." And he goes, "Man, this seems to be a bigger deal than that. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, my power is gonna stop this thing by saying, stop robbing graves, right?" Yeah. So it is a direct response to the claim Jesus rose from the dead and the rumor being spread by the Jews. Well, and they sent it to Nazareth. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, it yeah. is. So it's it's it, it's either that, and I think that's like the best case scenario that this is a direct response to the Christian claim that Jesus rose from the dead. But let's say. It isn't. What is it at least? It's yeah. at least an admission that grave um, body robbery, defacing right? Defacing whatever, graves yeah. and moving dead bodies was such a problem in Nazareth that the king of the world had to send a rule to say, stop moving people's bodies or I'll kill you. Yeah. So this is, this is where it gets hard for me. So at least it's that. If it's, if it's that, if it's just that grave robbery is super common in Israel, then an empty tomb would never make anybody believe somebody rose from well, the dead. Just an empty yeah, tomb, right? Right. Nobody would see an empty tomb and think rose from the dead. Grave robbery is common. They'd see an empty tomb and say, oh, man, who moved the body this time, right? Yeah. What's that's, hard? That's a good point. It, yeah. And so if grave robbery is that common, an empty tomb by itself wouldn't make anybody believe somebody rose from the dead, oh, which, would, yeah. which would make the argument of the, the Jews in Matthew that his disciples stole the body, it, it's a moot point. Who cares? Because grave robbery is so common, nobody thinks an empty grave proves resurrection. You'd need appearances and an empty tomb to make people believe that a resurrection occurred. Right, and we, we were even talking about it before, um, remember how it's how big of a deal it is for Jews to touch anything dead or and go see, near. That's a problem. There's all these cleanliness laws. They're not allowed just to go yeah. 
take dead bodies and move them around. There's like specific burial laws in Israel, right? They were supposed to wrap a body. They were supposed to let it decompose. Then they had to go back later, collect the bones, yeah. put it in an ossuary box, and, bury it with their fathers. It's yeah, very, right. Jews were very conscious about the law and the cleanliness laws. And so to just go open tombs, break seals, and move dead bodies, it, it seems very, very unlikely that Jews did that. Yeah, right. It, may, it just makes sense. So it seems more likely that this is, the, the, the Nazareth inscription is a direct response to the Christian claim that Jesus rose from the dead and then the counter argument that no, his disciples stole the body. Yeah. And I mean, and clearly that's what Wilhelm uh, Fr- uh, Fronier believed, the guy who owned this piece, because uh, like, why else would he think that this piece was significant in his claims that he made about Yeah. Yeah, he 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 would have known what it said for sure, and he knew where it came from. He recorded yeah. where it came from. Well, think about that. Even if even if he he didn't believe that this was referring to to Christ, to the Christian claims, mm-hmm. what what would why would he think it's significant if it would just talk a message about grave robbery? Or yeah. moving around bodies. Like, that's just not—that doesn't matter, you know no, what I'm saying? No, it doesn't matter. But the, the timing, yeah. the, the dating of it, where it was sent, like, it, being to Nazareth is just such a bizarre—why would you—you'd never send any edict It just there. doesn't make sense. You send it to the big city, and then you tell the officials in the big city to tell it to the little towns. It is a very, very fascinating piece of archaeology, and I, I think that all signs point to it being a direct response to the the early Christian claim, which is interesting, Tyler, because a lot of people like to argue that, you know, the idea of resurrection and Jesus being God, that's all later developed theology. That's folklore that developed over decades of retelling the story. Mm-hmm. If this is a piece of archaeology that directly responds to that, it lends itself to say, no, the Christian story of resurrection of Jesus and the deity of Jesus has been what Christians have been saying since the very, very beginning. Yeah, and especially the early, early dating of this piece. That's just astounding to see that it was very likely like around 10 years after Jesus had passed. Yeah, I mean what? 10 to 10 to 14 at the most, right? Yeah, at the most, right. That's what we get. And it like And it could have it even just, been earlier. So like, like I said, I yeah. I think mo- most scholars say that it's from the reign of Claudius. And the, and the reason they say that is because they have other edicts he sent out and there's similar mm. verbiage, right. there's similar sayings. And so that's why they go, yeah, this has to be from from Claudius and because you were, it's you were very similar. talking to me about it earlier too. It, they also you said something about how they can also tell by just the uh, the the style it's written in, correct? Yeah, like the, also the, yeah, the the shape and stuff of the Greek letters. They can they can put it to a certain time era. Yeah, exactly. But they believe it's Claudius because of the verbiage, the the phrasing that is used. But some people think it could be from <laughs> Tiberius, which that's even earlier. I think yeah. Tiberius uh, and this is just from memory, so I might be wrong. But I think he reigned up until 37 AD. I, it's around that, I and know. And so if it is from Tiberius, then that we're talking even earlier. Like, if it's that early, like, who knows? This could have even been... I mean, and this is just speculation at this point because mm-hmm. we don't have the exact dating, but this could have even been something that he sent out right after the body was missing. It could, it, it could have been. And now this is this is my own thinking on it. Yeah. I don't think it was that early because Well more evidence what would, shows that it's a little bit later. Yeah, but in addition to that, just just thinking about it, you wouldn't send an edict that was this strict to a place right after something like this happened because to have a reaction to 
because this Caesar's reacting to his situation. Yeah, right. So, so he first of all, news doesn't travel as fast as it does today. It takes time. He's hearing yeah. stuff months probably later than it actually happens. No, that's that's very true. Then he's true. seen the development of the of the problem between Christianity and Judaism, and he would think it's just two Jewish Jewish sects. Uh, arguing, right? Uh, but he doesn't want dissension. As the mm. Roman Empire, you don't want you want people just to live at peace and pay you <laughs> tribute oh, yeah. and give you their money. So he's seeing an uprising. Yeah, if your happening. citizens are having like a civil war going on, that's yeah. Not, yeah. And so, so yeah, if you're seeing that starting to develop, you want to squash it. So right. I think that this has to be later because it wouldn't. It's it it'd take a little bit time of time for all of that to develop, all the thought to develop, and then to see the response come from Rome. Uh, so yeah. I, I think Claudius is probably the better dating. Uh, however, like I said, some scholars say it could have been Tiberius too. But it's definitely really close. At the latest, it's 24 years yeah, after the resurrection way, occurred. Let's say even the latest um, time frame that it's dated at, like that's still super early. Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's a really not enough time for legend to develop. No, that's and not. also people were still around who were experiencing the events when it happened. It's not like this was just hundreds of years after it happened and everyone who witnessed it had died off. It's something no, that happened. People would have been like around then. who experienced it. Yeah, not to mention um, the edict coming twenty four years later, which is at, you know yeah. at the end of Claudius's reign, um, is a response to stuff that had already been heard before that. Yeah. So it's and not like it's it's 24 years is when it started. It's no, it's a response to stuff that's already being said right. about a guy coming from an empty tomb. So it's earlier than than the, the 24 yeah, hour. Yeah. And or on top of dating. all of that, I think something that's even crazier about this is that the fact that this tablet isn't a copy. This is mm-hmm. an original piece that is dated. Literally, like yeah. just a very you can hold few it in your hands today. You can, go, you can go see a picture of it. You can you could probably I don't know where they're holding it. I don't know what museum it's in, but you could probably go see this. That's yeah, uh, that's it's, true. It's chiseled in marble. <laughs> yeah. It's from that's the cool. first century, the early part of the first century, uh, first half of the first century. Um, and I do think it. I mean, I think that the the most logical conclusion is that this is a direct response to the claim that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead, and then. The counterclaim that no, he didn't. His disciples stole the body from the Romans. Yeah, yeah, yep. I think that's what it is. So I think it's a fascinating piece of archaeology. Please go Google search it. Read up more on this. We're going to put some articles in the show notes about it. Yes. So you can do a lot well, more. Like history. I said earlier, we'll we'll make sure we get the uh, a picture and the link shared mm-hmm. for you guys to see um, on the Instagram account. And uh, it, it's cool. We want to try to um, keep it open so you guys can. Find these different archaeological pieces for yourselves online, mm-hmm. and you can see what we're talking about is verified by evidence uh, of these uh, um, of these archaeological findings. Yeah, and that and, and that's the big thing. Like, if you're out there and you're listening to us, please don't ever just accept everything we say as yeah. true. Like, that's you shouldn't do that with anybody. You shouldn't no. do that with your pastor. You shouldn't do that with your professors. You shouldn't definitely do that with politics. <laughs> um, but uh, go check it out for yourself and look for evidence and and follow where the evidence leads. Yeah. We're looking for truth and truth has evidence for it. Yeah, because it, it's just, it's really important to know these things and uh, just be equipped with... Um, with reasons. These, yeah, with these reasons. We, yeah. we don't have a blind faith. We have a reasonable faith. We have reasons for why we trust the Bible, why we trust the God of the Bible, right, why we yeah. trust Jesus Christ. And this is just one of the, I mean, yeah. literally thousands and thousands and, and thousands of reasons we have. Yeah, and like we said earlier, now granted, this 
piece does not prove that these events happen, but no. it, it gives us verification that it's very plausible. And it gives us verification that something happened. Yeah. Something was going on with, well, with you can't deny bodies that this missing is a fake. from tombs. This, yeah. this is a, an authentic tablet mm-hmm. that exi- that came out of that time frame. Like we we kn- we just know that. Yep. And so it's a really cool really cool artifact. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh yeah, that we just really hope that this is encourage you guys just uh our listeners out there hearing about um this cool little tablet that was discovered. Uh it certainly fascinated me. I've I hadn't heard about this tablet until we were discussing it today, and it's just—it's really exciting every time that we record an episode and we get to dive deeper into these archaeological findings. Yep, and the whole reason we're doing this again, and we're going to say this every episode, is yeah. the, the purpose of Christ, Culture, and Coffee is that we want to equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and to be confident in their faith. We want you to be able to go out into our culture and to give evidence, to give reasons why you trust in Jesus, why you think the Bible's valid, why what it says is a message of hope and is truth. I was just reading today in the book of John where Jesus said, if you abide in my words, you're my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Yeah. And, and that's it. Jesus gave us the truth, meaning he told us what's real. He told us reality. And through studying, we can become confident and we can get excited that we're actually trusting in something real. But we can also go out into the culture and we can show people, we can lead them to truth as well. Yeah, that's super cool. And yeah. so uh, like, I, like we said again, we just hope that this podcast, to, um, as you're listening to it, was an encouragement to you. And that you walked away uh, feeling more confident in your faith and hearing about these evidence pieces that we've been bringing uh, to the table this past archaeological finding series. Yep. Next week, we'll be back with another uh, episode on archaeology and another artifact that we're going to talk about that uh, verifies things in Scripture. Yep. But thanks so much for being with us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We're really thankful. For you listening, we're hopeful that this is a helpful podcast to you. And uh, just looking forward to future podcasts and hearing some responses from you guys. We love to hear what you're thinking. We love to hear if you have questions or or things you'd like us to talk about on the podcast. Yes. So send that our yeah. way. Uh, we'll put uh, our email address in the in the show notes. And so you can shoot us a line whenever, whenever you have time to. Yeah. And you can always even go ahead and follow us on our Instagram page, Christ Culture and Coffee on Instagram. And you can send us a direct message that way or an email to ChristCultureAndCoffee at gmail.com. Uh, just go ahead and send us your coffee tips. Yeah, uh, we any do questions. actually. We, we're running out of coffee tips. We are. Yeah, but we're also running out of mugs. <laughs> so it's kind of going hand yeah. in hand. Yeah, but if you have one that you've been sitting on and you want to get it in, please yeah. send us your coffee and tips. And actually, that also increases your chances of getting one. Yeah, because we don't have a lot to choose from anymore. <laughs> yeah, we're running out of them. So if you send us a coffee tip that we haven't used that's decent and that we can use on the show, you will very likely get a mug. Yep. And if you don't, I'm going to come up with a coffee tip and then I'm going to re gift a mug to myself there you go and then you could do one the next week tyler and i'll give i'll mail one to you and (laughs) then i'll do one the next week and then we'll you know we'll each have a set (laughs) (laughs) i mean but yeah just uh we've had a few people too just uh um trying to get their hands on a mug and just remember just want to send that reminder that the only way you can get a mug is by sending us a coffee tip. And yeah, we're not selling them. We're not giving yeah. them out. Dude, I've had some pressure from people on this. <laughs> right? I'm not going <laughs> to name any names or say that they're my family I or mean, whatever. But we were talking earlier. Yeah. I mean, like your mom even sent in a tip. But she like, sent in a lot of tips, but she was asking me, can I just get a mug? A couple of people have asked me, hey, yeah. can I just get a mug? There's one guy in particular. I'm not going to say who, but I'm thinking 
know, he, he always asks me, hey, how can I get one of those mugs? And I'm like, I told you, you gotta send yeah, in a copy. Yeah, that's the only way we can that's do it. it so. And then who knows, we might end up coming out with more merchandise in the future that we release, but... Yeah, we'll have some other promos and stuff yeah, for you guys yeah. to look out for coming up. I'll, I'll, um, ugh, I got tongue-tied. Also... Um, we're going to have some really cool interviews coming your way here in the next couple of yes, months. So really stay looking tuned forward for that. to the guest speakers. Yeah, uh, we're going to we get some, cool, some cool lineup uh, of people, of speakers coming in. So Super exciting. So Well, but, thanks so yeah. much for being with us today on Christ Culture and Coffee. Tyler, it's fun hanging out with you. Yes, it's been great. Really looking forward to next week. Yep, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks. See ya. You have been listening to Christ Culture and Coffee a podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more information, visit our website at dscchurch.com.